This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to guide us for the rest of our morning together. And if you're new-ish with us, you might be wondering, man, why are we always talking about groups and students, groups and students, groups and students. And it's very simple because we believe that circles are better than rows for life change and for relationships and for all the things God wants to do. And we believe that it's everyone's privilege to help the next generation win. And when the next generation wins, we all win. So we're going to talk about that all the time. It takes the average learner at least eight times to hear something to get it through. You're above average, so we're only going to do it seven times, take a week off, seven times, take a week off, because that's how much we love you. Well, hey, we're jumping into our uh, middle of our series right now. If you've missed any part of this series, this is one where you'd want to go back because it builds on itself. But we're in this series because a startling number of people across our country, and it could be in your neighborhood, it could be your neighbors, could be your kids, could be your coworkers, are asking this question, do we really need God anymore? Or is it more of an ancient tradition, myth, uh, it was good for the generations past, but come on, we are, we're post-enlightenment. Do we really need God? And a startling number of people are answering that number or that question by saying no. 35% of millennials are walking away from the faith of their youth, and a full 25% of people in our country are now identifying themselves as nuns. Not, not nuns, but N-O-N-E, non-affiliated people. People who would say, you know what? I'm not anti-church necessarily. I'm not anti-faith. It's just not for me. And so they're walking away. And in week one, we said, listen, when you walk away from theism, which is just a big stained glass idea of one God, when you walk away from the belief in one God, you're walking towards atheism, which is a belief in no God. And atheism has some unsettling conclusions to it. And so I just wanted you to know on that first week, if you have a friend, or maybe you're watching this online, or maybe you've got one foot out the door, you come to church, but you wonder, is it really worth it? I'm telling you, while theism has some unsettling or some, wow, these are some big claims, atheism has equally unsettling conclusions to it. And you owe it to yourself to ask the question, what am I walking towards if I'm walking away from theism? And then in week two, uh, we talked about the fact that many of us may have walked away needlessly from the faith of our youth because we were taught about God as children, and we had a childlike trust in God. But as we grew, we did not mature that picture of God. And so it turned from a childlike faith to a childish faith in God. And we started believing in a God that we heard about when we were five, six, seven years old. And it was no fault of the people who taught us, because the truth is they were teaching us age-appropriate pictures of God. But we grew up, and we hold on to that one little piece. And it was like those cartoon caricatures where, you know, I said this that week, that in a caricature, they blow up certain aspects of who you are. So for me, I'd have a huge, shiny head, because my head is shaved, by the way, not bald. My My son said, Dad, you and Pastor Ron both have bald heads. I said, no, 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 no. We have shaved heads. It is very different. 
very different. I could grow gray hair if I wanted to. I have a shaved head, but it would blow up my head and be really shiny and big, and it would take my nose and be like, woo, like Pinocchio, and my ears would be like Dumbo. That is a caricature, and we took little pictures of God, specifically in the letters of the Old Testament, and we have blown them up, and they really are no God at all. And so you needlessly walked away from a lowercase g God, and you walked away from uppercase g God, the original God, the OG. You walked away from the OG towards this little g God, and we invited you. That's okay that you walked away from that God because that God was no God at all, but why not come back to the capital G God? And then last week, I I ruffled a few feathers. I saw some of you squeezing each other's hands like, I don't know what's going to happen, but you came back. That's good. That's good, because last week I said the Bible, specifically the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, are not the foundation of our faith. For some of us, it was like, you can't say that. You cannot say that. But I'm telling you, and I made a case last week, and you have to go back and watch, and you have to watch till the end, or else you'll think I'm a heretic. I'm telling you, the foundation of our faith is way better and stronger than a fish story that might have had you needlessly walk away. Or questions about a flood that had you needlessly walk away from God. Or questions about the, the historicity of a six-day creation that had you needlessly walk away from God. The foundation of our faith. The thing that the Old Testament scriptures point forward to and the thing that the New Testament letters point backwards to is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I said last week, we do not follow a Bible told me so, Jesus. It's way better than that. The foundation of our faith is and will always be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. People saw him. Eyewitnesses saw him die, saw him buried. And then over 500 people saw him alive. And I asked you last week to consider what it would be like. Because in Jerusalem, not at the festival time, but in the normal time, Jerusalem is where Jesus was crucified. There were about 30,000 people in that city at a normal time. And 500 people saw him alive. Now, Petaluma has 60,000 people. So cut Petaluma in half. And imagine if 500 of us saw someone killed, saw them buried, and then within a week and then a month saw them alive again and took to the streets to tell everyone not what they believed, but what they saw. Would it capture the attention of the world? You better believe it would. The foundation of our faith has always been and will always be the resurrection of Jesus. It is, it is what took Christianity out of the first century It is the thing that moved it into the world, that got us through times when Jesus' followers were being fed to lions. It took us through times when Jesus' followers, rather than denouncing their trust in God, were crucified and burned at the stake. It's a big deal. Now, do I believe in the Old Testament letters? Absolutely. When rightly understood and interpreted in their genre, I absolutely believe in the Old Testament letters. But here's why first century people, non-Jewish people, they were called Gentiles, which Gentiles, the Jews just called anyone who wasn't Jewish a Gentile. It was ethnos, where we get ethnicity, all the other people. Here's why non-Jewish people started trusting the Jewish scriptures. Because Jesus said that all of those letters point forward to him. See, they didn't want to become Jewish, 
They, they loved the freedom that they had in a resurrected Savior. There were all sorts of laws. There are 613 Jewish laws, and a lot of them, they went the way of uh, the Old Testament. There were some that stuck, but, but these Gentiles, they started to trust and believe in the letters of the Old Testament because Jesus said, these letters point to me. If you don't believe me, I want you to do some homework this week. And if you're skeptical about Jesus and his death and resurrection, I want you to do some homework. I want you to look up this passage. Write down Isaiah 53. Isaiah is a letter in the Old Testament of the Bible. Just, just some extra credit for you if you think, you know what, school's out, but I'm really not done learning. I want to learn more. Write down Isaiah 53. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was, write down Isaiah 53. And I want you to read it And then I want you to read the crucifixion accounts of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to tell me, who do you think the author was talking about? Because this was written 750 years before Jesus' crucifixion. And it points to something that I would argue. It points to Jesus. But I want you to decide for your own. I want you to go ahead and and do the research. Here's the thing. We don't become Christians by putting our faith in faith. If you were raised in a church that said, don't ask questions, just have faith. You just got to have more faith. Have more faith. You were raised in a church that was anti-intellectual, that did not allow for free thinking and question asking. I'm telling you, it hurts you, and it is not the way that God designed your faith to work. We become Christians by putting our faith, and you could substitute the word trust, because faith is simply trusting God enough to try what God says. We become Christians by putting our trust in Jesus because of the overwhelming evidence of his resurrection. Those 500 people in Jerusalem who saw him alive, if you said, do you have faith? that Jesus rose from the dead. They'd say, we don't need to have faith. We saw him. We had locks and bagels with him. We touched his wrists. And they're inviting us in the 21st century to do the same thing, not to have faith in faith, but to have faith in Jesus and to have faith in God because of Jesus. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about the fact that Jesus, if we can trust his resurrection, and I believe we can, then we can also trust what he says about our heavenly father, God. I want to rebuild your trust in God based on Jesus. Because just as Jesus, what Jesus said about himself turned out to be trustworthy, because he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again, and you're going to see me, just as what he said about himself turned out to be trustworthy, what Jesus says about God can be trusted as well. So my hope today is to rebuild a foundation of trust in God based on Jesus. Jesus' own words about God. And I want to do it by looking at two eyewitnesses to Jesus' death and resurrection. And they wrote biographies of Jesus' life. One is a guy named Luke, and Luke was a doctor who became so convinced in the truth that Jesus was the living God that he left his practice to interview eyewitnesses and to write down an accurate account of everything that Jesus did and said. 
And he wrote these letters that have stood the test of time. And the other one's a guy named John. And John's this interesting cat because John was one of the last Jesus followers of the initial 12 to still be alive at the end. And John got exiled to this island called Patmos. And John, later on, and we're going to look at this in a few minutes, later on, John said, if I had to boil God down to one word, to one word, it would be the word love. And you have to ask yourself, how could this guy who's been exiled to Patmos? Now, just to be fair, Patmos is an island outside of Greece. It's not, it's not like he was exiled to Barstow. You know what I mean? Like, it's pa- <laughs> Some of you are like, why is Kevin always capping on Barstow? <laughs> Said no one ever who's ever been to Barstow. No one ever wonders, why does he make fun of Barstow? So he was exiled to this island called Patmos outside of Greece, But he was still exiled away from everyone he knew and loved because this emperor, Domitian, kept killing Christians. And every time he killed a Christian, a thousand more sprung up. And so he thought, well, I'm not going to just keep killing him. I'm going to exile this guy. How could John, while he's exiled, say God is love? It was because of what he had seen and experienced in Jesus. And Jesus himself says, Do you want to know what God is like? You don't have to look any further than right here. Here's how he put it in John chapter 14. These are Jesus' own words about himself. He says this to his closest followers. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. To which the people standing around are like, what? And we would be too. If I walked up to you and said, you really want to know what God is like? Look no further than this guy. (laughs) It is an incredibly arrogant statement, unless it's true. In the early 2000s, the best defense in the NFL was the Chicago Bears. Incredibly arrogant, incredibly arrogant, unless it's true. And I think we can all agree that it's true. Go Dubs, go Dubs. Is that better? Okay. And so Philip, one of the 12, says this. He says, I'm sorry, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Could God make like a guest appearance? We'd like to see him. To which Jesus replies, anyone who has seen me has seen my Father. And he goes on to say, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. I'm not making this stuff up. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. It's as if Jesus is saying to us in the 21st century, do you want to know what God says? Listen to me. Do you want to know what God is like and what he's up to? Watch me. And they're all looking at him thinking, really? Can we trust that? And the truth is, most of them believed and then disbelieved because the guy who said he was God was murdered and was buried. And then they re-believed again because the guy who they saw murdered and buried came back life. Jesus goes on to finish it like this. Believe me when I say to you that I am 
in the Father. I am one with God the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at the very least, believe in the evidence of the works that I do. Here's a question I want you to consider. Because I'm going to invite you as we, as we move forward into this week, as you move into this summer, I, I want to invite you, consider reading the biographies of Jesus and reading them fresh. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like you've never read them before. And asking this big question, what does Jesus show me about God? Because he makes some pretty big claims about himself. He says, if you want to know what God is like, who God loves, what God hates, look no further than me. And to get you started on your journey, because I want this to be an open note test, I'm going to give us three characteristics of God, three pictures to get you started, to get the ball rolling, and then you have the opportunity this summer to keep on looking. If you don't have a Bible, head out to Guest Central. We have Bibles in English and Spanish that we love to give to you. Or if you're in the 21st century, a tech person, you're like, a Bible? I don't even know what to do with this. I only need one hand and a thumb. Thank you very much. Then grab what's called the YouVersion app. Write it down, YouVersion. Grab it on your phone, grab it on your tablet, and you can read the words of Jesus on your own. We, we live in a society that is unprecedented in our ability to know the words and the teachings of the one who says, if you want to know what God is like, look no further than me. So I'll give you, I'll give us three, three characteristics of God that are mind-blowing if this doesn't blow your mind, if you're like, meh, you're not thinking about it enough. Or maybe I'm just a horrible communicator. But since I have the mic, you're not thinking about it enough. First is this, God is spirit. So one day Jesus is walking along and he gets to this well in the middle of the day and he meets a woman that if you have been around the church for any period of time, you know her as the woman at the well. How sad she doesn't, like she had a name, like give, her, give a woman her propers, but no, she's the woman at the well. This woman was a Samaritan woman and all you need to know about that is Samaritan, uh, Samaritans were an offshoot of Judaism. Jesus was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. Jewish teachers did not associate with Samaritans, period. They really didn't associate with Samaritan women. And yet Jesus goes to this woman, and he is kind and compassionate. He has a conversation with her. It's actually quite a spirited dialogue. She starts to challenge Jesus because great thinking women always challenge. And I love that. Not bossy, not overbearing. Great thinking women ask questions and challenge the status quo. And I love that. And I love that our church loves that as well. And so she goes up to Jesus, and they have this spirited dialogue. And here's something interesting. If you want to know what God is like, look at the way that Jesus interacts with people who disagree with him fundamentally. Don't look, at, don't look at our political system if you want to know what God is like. It will not tell you. Sadly, don't look at Christians on Facebook if you want to know what God is like, because when we disagree with people on Facebook, we fire bullets instead of building bridges. If you want, and listen, if that's you, I love you, stop it, okay? <laughs> I love you. I love you. But I see it, okay? I'm not, not liking it because I don't see it. I'm not liking it because it's not helpful. If you want to know what Jesus is like or what God is like, look at how Jesus interacts with people who don't have social standing. Look at how Jesus acts with people who are diametrically opposed to him. It's beautiful. But here's what Jesus says to this woman. I only have time for a snapshot of it. He says this. He says this. God is spirit. 
And worshipers must worship God in the spirit and in truth. God is spirit. See, ancient Jews believed that God was immaterial. That there, that's why, by the way, if you look in the Old Testament letters of the Bible, you'll see that, that God commands people, don't make an image of me because there was no image to make. God is immaterial. God is outside of time and matter and physical form. That's why Jesus followers believe that somehow there was a singularity to the creation of the world, and that singularity started with a creator that was outside of or over time, that God is the uncreated creator of the universe. How he did it, I don't know. Was it a big bang? Probably. But we believe that somehow this uncreated creator, this spirit, this big, vast, oh my gosh, is God. Which would make sense because in the 21st century, when we think about gods and goddesses, we don't think about little wooden statues, do we? But this flew against all ancient pagan religions. They believed in all kinds of lowercase g gods and goddesses, and they would make statues or images out of metal or stone or wood. But they didn't have the power that the OG had because God is outside. You could say it like this. He's supra or above, supra-natural. He created all. God is spirit. Not male or female, but spirit. The problem with spirit is it's like, ooh, spirit, you know? Like, when do we think about spirits? Halloween or when you go to the bar. That's the only time you think about spirits. Okay, but the guy, ooh, God is big and bold. But then Jesus gives us another picture of God, which swings all the way from the other end. If spirit is huge, world-creating, then Jesus says God is also Father. Every morning I I get up before my kids about 5 o'clock or 5.15, and I'll exercise, I'll listen to a podcast, or I'll read a book and sip some coffee. And this morning I was up about 5.45 and, and reading, and my little man Landon who's seven years old, every morning he comes up to me. doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be exercising. I could be reading. He comes up to me, and without saying anything, he just finds my lap, and he curls up. And today was no different. Dude just comes up to me, curls up on my lap as I'm looking over my message. He just sits there. Why? Because Father, and I'm not talking about your dad. I'm talking about the perfection of Father. There's something very safe about Father. There's something very personal about Father. One day, Jesus' followers were, uh, they were watching him pray. And they looked at one another and they said, we have all these scripted prayers. But when we pray, it feels kind of rote. But then when Jesus prays, it seems like he has actual engagement with God. And so they went to Jesus and they said to him, would you teach us how to pray? And here's the crazy thing. This is, the, this is, this is really interesting, just kind of human nature. He taught them how to pray. And over the last 2,000 years, we've turned his teaching about how to pray into another scripted prayer. 
which was the very thing they were trying to move away from, a script without any sort of relationship. And that's another conversation for another time. But isn't it true that human nature is to turn freedom into rules? Jesus says, this is how you can pray to have a relationship, to engage with your heavenly father. And we turned it into something that we have to repeat five or six times to feel better. But that was never God's intention for this prayer. Here's what he says to them. When you pray, say, Father, what a loaded phrase that is. Now, for some of us, depending on our faith tradition, or maybe you're just starting out exploring faith, the idea of talking about God, who is spirit, the uncreated creator, as Father, feels very awkward. You want to make it even more awkward? When Jesus calls God Father, he uses a phrase that's more like daddy. More like when a little kid runs up to their parent when they get home and says, mommy, daddy, and grabs them. And isn't it true that for many of us, when things are good, we have no problem calling out to God. But when things are tough, either internally or the world around us is tough, we have a hard time reaching out to God. And it could be because we do not yet believe that God is Father. And that while God is big and strong and vast, God is very personal and wants to sit with you, listen to your story, hear what's happening, give courage, comfort, encouragement, correction, protection. God is Father. So I want you to try something tonight. If you're just exploring Christianity, or even if you're not, but you have a hard time with this concept, I want you to try this. Lay down in bed tonight with all the lights off when your spouse starts snoring. And just whisper, Father. Just take it for a test drive. Say, I, I, don't, are you, I don't even know if you're here. I, I don't know very much about you, and yet Jesus says that I can call out to you as Father. The third description Jesus gives about God is that God is love. So this guy, John, who spent his time with Jesus, who was one of the last remaining 12 alive, he started getting these letters, and the people would ask him in these letters, would you just write down what you know about God? And so he wrote these letters later in his life to write down, try to, to capture the essence of God. And here's what he wrote down. Based on his experience with Jesus, and based on how Jesus talked about God, he said, God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. Now, this word can be so misunderstood, so confusing, so like, so big. So I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dog. I have two. I really love one of them. <laughs> I love them both, but I love them both differently. You shouldn't have favorites on humans, but on dogs, I think it's okay. Jesus gave me a pass. And by the way, I love super burritos from Mi Pueblo. Love super burritos. Now, 
if I love a super burrito the way I love my wife, we're in trouble. If I love my dog to the extent that I love my car, we're in trouble. If I, do you understand? Love is too big. So here's what we're going to do. After this series, we're going to spend eight weeks talking about this concept. What is love? If God is love, and by the way, Jesus will go on to say that, guys, you're going to forget almost everything else I taught you. This is what he says to his, his friends, his followers. You're going to forget most of it. If you forget everything else, don't forget this. Love one another. Everything else will get wrapped up, packaged nicely, bow on top, if you learn how to love one another. And the world will know that I'm real. So we're going to spend eight weeks on the idea of love. If you've ever, by the way, thought to yourself, I believe in a loving God, whether it was a God of spirituality or a God of Christianity, did you know that it's a distinctly Christian concept? That in the ancient world that Jesus walked in and lived in and, and, and had on flesh, that the deities, they did not love. Here's what people said about gods. Gods are powerful. Sure. Gods can be vindictive. Yeah. Uh, gods are merciful. Sometimes. God is love? No way. And Jesus comes on the scene. He says, God is spirit. God is father. And according to John, he said, God is love. And I think you know that. Because we all know, as my friend says, we all know this. Shade requires the sun. Shade requires the sun. Uh, exactly, right? So you can have sun without shade. But you can't have shade without sun. Okay, I've lost you. I can see that. That's okay. That's okay. You can have sun without shade. You cannot have shade without sun. Why? Because sun has to pre-exist shade. And in the same way that shade requires the sun, unlove requires love. So when you think Man, that was such an unloving thing that they did. From an early age, don't we have some sort of moral compass stamped on us? Now, we can, we can disregard it. We can ignore it. We can deaden it. But every one of us knows the difference between unloving and loving. My wife is watching online right now. She's in Illinois. Hey, babe. She's in Illinois. She's been gone for a few days. We got into um, a, a little text confusion a couple nights ago. We'll just call it that, a text confusion, where I was confused why things didn't get done the way that I thought they were supposed to, and she was confused why I was texting her. So text confusion. And normally at the end of our—she uh, doesn't know this story yet, but she's in Illinois. Uh, normally at the end of the night, when she goes to bed, because she's two hours ahead of me in Illinois, she'll text me, I'm going to bed, I love you, good night. Well, she did not text me. So at 11 o'clock, I thought to myself, I'm going to text her and say I'm going to bed, because it's one o'clock there. And immediately I knew the difference between unlove and love. And I didn't text her. Come on. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't text her. But how did I know the difference between that would be unloving? 
We had some text confusion. That's okay. Confusion happens, but it would be unloving to wake my wife up just to make the point that she didn't say goodnight to me. (laughs) Because something is stamped on us, called a moral compass, that knows the difference between love and unlove. And here's why that is. Because you were created in the image of a God who is spirit, who is pre-existing, who created you and imprinted his thumbprint on you. And God is love. Which is why you know, even outside of a Christian context, the difference between unloving and loving. Just like shade requires the sun, unlove requires love. It's why when you hear about injustices happening in the world, while you hear about school shootings, we might disagree fundamentally about how to fix that. No one argues that that is wrong. Why? Because we were created by a God who is love. Next week, Pastor Ron's going to take us through this idea. Injustice for all. What about injustice in the world? How does that, because for some people, injustice and pain, it communicates that there is no God. But actually, it points to the fact that there is a God. You got to come back next week to hear about that. But God is, according to Jesus, spirit, big, creative, beautiful. God is Father, not like a man or a woman, but Jesus would say, that's the best picture I can give you to a God who you can actually engage with, who wants to listen, not just when you got it figured out, but wants to listen every day, who wants to give guidance and wisdom, who wants to engage with you. God is Father. And God is love. And God showed his love for us we're told that while we were still enemies of God, God sent Jesus into this world some 2,000 years ago to live and teach and show us how to engage with our Heavenly Father. And then God gave his life on a cross when Jesus was crucified on that hill outside of Jerusalem. And then God broke the power of sin and death, and destruction, and made a way for you to come back into relationship with God when he rose from the dead. And if you've never experienced a relationship with your heavenly Father through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and what I mean by that is through the work that God did through Jesus on the cross, then I want to invite you today to call out to your Father, to invite Him into your life, to be your leader and your Savior. If you're ready to make that decision, you can pray the simple prayer with me right now. It's, it's no magic formula. It's no spell. It's simply the way that you can call out to a God who sees you and knows you and loves you. Would you join me as we pray? God, in the quiet of this moment, I want to take a test drive of that phrase. So with all my friends here, we, just, we, want, to, we want to call out to you and say, Father, 
Father, would you speak to us through your Spirit right now? There are some of us here today who we need some hope from our Heavenly Father. Some of us right now who need some course correction from a Heavenly Father. Some of us right now who have no idea what it would actually tangibly be like to have a relationship with you where we could, we could like curl up in your lap. We need to know our Heavenly Father. Some of us today who have never entered into a relationship with you as Father. So God, would you speak to us through your Spirit right now, wherever we are on this journey. And friend, if you're here and you're ready to invite God to be your leader and the Savior of your life, you can pray this simple prayer. Say, Father, I want to have a relationship with you. And I'm asking that you would come into my world to be the leader and guide of my life. I'm asking you to forgive me, God, of the ways where I have lived unlove. Would you begin to heal the places where others have lived unlove against me? And would you show me what it looks like to walk in a relationship with you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you made that decision, head out to Guest Central, grab one of our New Believers Quick Start Guides. They'll give you some next steps. Everybody, I'd love to invite you back next week for Injustice for All. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.